all that you've already done because you've caused us to worship you and to appreciate you through a family that we love. And Lord, uh, to consider before us the body of Christ and how we function together. And now, Lord, where it all comes together by your Holy Spirit is through your word and the direction you give us. Would you do that today in Jesus' name? Amen. Well, last week when we completed our study, it was a section at the end of chapter 3 in the first verse of chapter 4 in which Paul says, and Paul's the writer of this book, this letter, do all things uh, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in his authority and his power under his dominion and leadership, as if it was Jesus doing it to the best of your ability. It's kind of like in basketball, they call it playing above the rim. It's really getting high getting really high. Uh, it's a high calling. Do all things in the name of Jesus Christ, well, in, in his nature and his character. What happens in your life as you grow as a Christian is you realize as time goes by how many things you don't do in his authority, in his nature. It's just part of the deal. You're not like the only one. You're one of everybody. We all start to find out that, that much of what we do could be adjusted to bring glory to God, to have his attitude in his heart. And how do you get there? I don't think anybody just arrives. I think it's a growing process. But here's what he continues to say in verse 2 through 6. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I'm also in chains. He's in Rome in the prison that I might make it manifest as I ought to speak. And this is connected. Walk in wisdom, verse 5, to those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you might know how you ought to answer each one. Well, it all starts with prayer. In every situation, bring glory to God in the name of Jesus, then probably we need to be praying about every situation. And it's more, more than a legal rote thing where you have to write everything down. It's, it's an awareness in your life that God is with you. It's one thing to say, I know the Lord's there, the big man upstairs kind of people say, in this very generic way. It's another thing to realize that at every moment, is it really true that God's with you and might want to direct you? Yeah, it is. It's this amazing gift that we have from the Lord of a relationship. And... Um, so it all starts with prayer, which is how to walk in wisdom and redeem the time. And I'm going to work backwards about this issue of Paul's imprisonment and his prayer for a minute. Because, see, the word to redeem there that's used is the same word that's used to say uh, buy back, not buy back. I know we use that term, and it can be used that way. But the actual word is for to buy, especially to purchase a slave. So to redeem is to get a slave. Well, how, how do we view that as a Christian? How do we understand that term being used here? Oh, a shirt's to buy back. We're buying back for God to redeem time, energy for the sake of the Lord's kingdom and for the sake of people we want to see slaves set free. Slaves to sin set free. So he says, um, and, he, and if you're in prison, if you're in a prison right now, you go, well, why, I'm not in a prison. I'm sitting here in this church. Are you stupid? Well, yes, I am stupid, but not about this. Okay, you're, if you're in a prison that doesn't have metal 
you know, round bars on it, but you're restricted in your life, and you're stuck in a place, and other people have placed you in a spot, and your own heart is trapped in a situation, can you see that as a possible way for us to analogize a prison? Yeah. So if you're in prison, rather than constantly complain about where you are and looking for a door of escape, look for a door of ministry. Paul had a very clear understanding of the gospel. He calls it the mystery. He says uh, that I might make manifest as I ought to about the mystery of Christ. Now, every time in the New Testament he uses this word mystery, mysterion, if you want, that's why we get the word mystery. It means the previously unknown or hidden truth of God's promises that were embodied in the Old Testament and the prophecies and the promises and the use of the nation of Israel and the people of Israel all the way back to Abraham and how God had always promised that Christ would come, that Jesus would come and bring salvation, that Jew and Gentile would be one in Christ through the blood of Jesus Christ. There was redemption and forgiveness and health and wholeness in the Spirit to all those who would come to him, to God through Jesus Christ. And there's no barrier between us, and this is great revealed truth of the gospel. You with me? That's the mystery did Paul understand this ministry mystery well? Did he? Probably better than all of us put together because he got it by revelation initially in front of, before he's the one that communicated more clearly to Peter and the guys in Jerusalem, the apostles in Jerusalem. He's the one that communicated uh, really even better to Barnabas and etc. He's the guy that commun- he's the guy God used to write a lot of the New Testament. You have to give a little credit there that he probably understood what he was saying probably better than anybody. And yet, he says, he says, you know, we need to pray and be aware of the leading of the Holy Spirit for God to open doors and open hearts and give us the way to share with others. Sure, I constantly talk about, Paul says, I know nothing but the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm going to share. But it didn't mean, there's, first of all, there's a difference between an evangelist standing uh, in a stadium or a street corner and preaching the gospel, a guy behind a microphone in a church setting or in some other setting, it's, okay, let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. You don't walk up to your buddy at work at the water cooler, do you know about Jesus? Oh, not really. Well, he died for your sins. I want your head bowed and your eyes closed. Are you ready to raise your hand and receive Christ? Every head bowed. Why don't you do that? Because you're talking to a person. You're not preaching to a crowd. So, you know, adjusting that's pretty healthy. I know some people that preach to a crowd, to one person, as soon as they meet them without listening to the person, engaging the person, hearing the person's heart, seeing what, you know, getting to know the person. As my daughter put it to me as we were talking about this on our way to Newport, Rhode Island, two days ago or three, the week is a blur. She said, yeah, you really, if you're not willing to invest in people, then to tell them what to do and stuff without investing in them is really kind of fruitless and counterproductive a lot. Now, everybody you meet, you can't invite them to dinner and go to their house and clean their house for them. You know what I mean? You have to kind of find the flow of God's spirit. But Paul is very clear in his understanding, but he's also a way of redeeming relationships and circumstances and conversations. How do we redeem conversations? 
Have you ever been in a conversation and as you're in the middle of it and you're, somebody's talking and you're talking, you're saying, man, this, this conversation really needs to be redeemed. <laughs> Has that ever happened? Many a time. You know, well, do you be rude and forceful with, well, you just need to hear about Jesus. We only got so much time, so here it is. I don't think so. Yeah, again, am I willing to be a good listener to really get to know somebody when I can and engage them, people that I'm in contact with on a regular basis? Uh, uh, this is the beginning, is to, is to invest time in people, to invest care in people. But when you speak, he says, you need to speak with grace. And your speech needs to be seasoned, and it is exactly that. It's a, the metaphor is a cook adding seasoning, adding salt. Your speech to be seasoned with salt. And the reason you're cooking, what you're doing, what you're sharing with grace and with seasoning in your words, you're well-seasoned to draw out a good flavor, to give a good It's for the sake of the other person. You know. You do know. I'm not the only one. Let me put it this. I'm not the only one who knows how easy it is to fall into just liking to hear the sound of your own voice. Everybody... You get going, you get talking. When you do, some of you don't talk hardly at all, so you're safe there. But your thoughts would your thoughts would do it if you just your mouth would say it. It's, it's just that you're not you're more quiet. But you get talking, and it's to hear yourself. It's to say what you want to say. But the goal of of grace is to help another person for their benefit. And and here's but here's the other side of. of of the fact that do you believe that your words spoken with grace and seasoned with salt can make a difference in somebody else's life? Good. The ones of you who said yes, some of you are pondering that. Yes, if I was really right on, if I could talk like this person or that person, then yes, but me, no. Well, you're missing the point that God might want to give you. Your words can make a difference. We said, you know, you got to be investing in people and patient and listening to people and caring about people. There is that famous saying that says, uh, preach Christ at all times when necessary, use words. It's a beautiful thought. It's a true thought. But the other side of it is, it is necessary, often, eventually, to use words. Because I know people who have been doing that silent gospel for 20 years, and they have people in their life that don't understand the gospel, have never been challenged directly by the gospel, and they're just waiting for God to fall on that person because they're being so nice to them in the name of Jesus or in their manner. And they're not really willing to say, to talk to them directly about the Lord. Again, all of this, you can't write down, here's the list of exactly how to do it because there's no such thing. Ray Mast, Ray Comfort notwithstanding. I love Ray Comfort and what he does. He does the, him and Kirk Cameron do the, uh, have you ever lied? Well, then you're a liar. You've broken God's commandments. And, and we can show you how to get people saved, you know. <laughs> and it's true. It works for them in a very great way. But they also have a camera and a microphone. And, and they're who they are in public. And yet they're still good. I love them. But is that the way to preach the gospel? Don't ever do that. This is the way. They give really good tips and understanding. But the way is to be who you are and let the Holy Spirit be who he is in the moment you're in. And don't use that as an excuse to do nothing. 
maybe I'm not Ray Comfort. I like his stuff, and I have incorporated some of that into when I get a chance to talk to people. But the thing I really want to incorporate when I get to talk to people is, Lord, what do you want to say to this person? What's happening right now? Who do I need to be to them right now? And to have confidence, not in Rick Cohen's ability to recite what he already knows, but to have confidence that the Holy Spirit will give me the words that are seasoned with salt for them and that my words matter. It will cause me to be thoughtful and prayerful. And that's the goal here, is to be thoughtful and prayerful. You know, an ambassador who's in a foreign land have times they're on duty, and then the shop closes, the embassy closes, and if they don't have an event for the embassy or some dinner to go to, which is part of their job, and it's just a free night, are they still an ambassador for the country? If they go out to the bars and get blinded drunk and start beating people up and throwing things and uh, you know, go find the house of prostitution and get busted by the police... Well, I was off duty. It doesn't matter about my job. Does that work? No. When an ambassador is in a country, he's an ambassador for this country, and he's in this country. He's on duty. She's on duty every minute of every day of the entire time they're in the country. Are you with me? There's no arguing that. But I wish somebody would, because then I'd really, you know... (laughs) There's no arguing it because what happens is they get busted by, their, by the country they're in or by, and by their own country for, by misrepresenting, if they're a U.S. ambassador to you know, Britain, the U, misrepresented the U.S. What they speak, they can't just go, well, you know what I think about you Britons <laughs> or you Irish or you uh, Spanish or whoever, wherever they go. They can't just mouth off their opinion in frustration, can they? Not if they want to continue to be an ambassador. What does the Bible tell us we are? Ambassadors for Christ. Now, which is more important? The United States ambassador to Spain or an ambassador for Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory? Your job, my job, is actually of higher intensity and importance than a government official. Our ministry of a Christian is greater than a a doctor who's a surgeon that saves lives. I'm I'm not denouncing a surgeon. I'm saying, thank God for surgeons. But all they do is keep you alive to die another day. And it's a good thing when you want to stay alive for a little bit longer. It's good. But it's not eternal life. We have the words through Jesus Christ, of eternal life. How important is that? So these are important things. Um, always on duty. And notice, so, notice so Paul's chains were not a hindrance to him. They were a tool for him to share the mystery of Christ. We'll come back to that at the end. Verse 7 through 11. Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose that he may know your circumstance and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, remember he's the slave guy that ran away that Paul led to Jesus that's going back to Colossae and bringing a letter to Philemon, 
whether it's right now or not, this is who he is. Who is one of you? Onesimus, a faithful, beloved brother, is one of you. They will make known to you all things that are happening here. Aristarchus, that guy who I've had all week to study his name, my fellow prisoner greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes, you welcome him. And Jesus, who's called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God. They are of the circumcision, and they have proved to be a comfort to me. Paul has faithful friends. Man, I hope and pray that you have faithful friends and that you and I are faithful friends. Sometimes it's to just hang in there with somebody through all their pain and trouble and be there. Not promise them you'll always be there. Right, Alec? We can't promise people will always be there because only the Lord, we sh- I got to share at his graduation, shared this thought, is the per- only person who can sign your yearbook, I'll always be there for you, is Jesus. But that, that doesn't relieve me from the duty and beauty of being able to be there for people. But also, you know, there's a proverb that says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Some of my best friends are people who've rightly wounded me. You know what I'm saying? Corrected me. You know? It's just funny. Our athletes get paid bazillions of dollars, and they place themselves under coaches that yell at them and tell them the simplest basic things over and over and over again. And they're willing to do it because they get all this money and because it makes them a better player. And anyone who's a real player in any sport that had a coach that really wrote him or her in a good way to make them get better is appreciative of it. But in all other areas, we kind of just hate being corrected. Like, how dare you correct me? How dare anybody ever get into my space? Where in the world did we get that idea? Now, not that we should just be badgering each other and forcing our way into each other's lives and personal issues that aren't our business, but can you see a a contrast? I don't know if the word dichotomy works here, but it sounds really good. It's just a weird thing. (laughs) That, you know, we're just... uh, People that don't ever want to be corrected are scary because you don't get corrected. And you have a lot of blind spots. And they're blind spots because you can't see them. God help us be people that are willing to be corrected and to help correct others gently but clearly when it's needed. It's a tough deal. Nobody said that was easy. But anyway, he's got good, faithful brethren and, uh, and faithful friends. And uh, several of them were in prison with Paul in Rome and got out. And, and where he's writing, and then there's Mark. Mark, this is a story of restoration. Mark is the reason that Paul and Barnabas split, because Mark had left the work they started on in their first journey early. He's cut out because he got cold feet about all the challenges. And Paul said, I'm not taking him again when they start to go out again. And Barnabas says, well, I'm taking him. And so they split up. And they were mad, frustrated. These were great men of God. Barnabas is really every bit, in a sense, in a sense, he's every bit an apostle as Paul. They're two apostle guys. 
and they're men who love God and are passionate about his work and they disagree. And everybody will argue over who was right and wrong. All I know that really happened is, is that now, later on, Paul says Mark's very valuable and important and he's actually working with him. And so that means that either, either uh, Mark got really um, improved and became faithful or Paul softened up or both. <laughs> so then these last three are Paul's Jewish brothers with him and he's among all the Gentile believers who he loves but these guys, they're my only uh, brethren of the circumcision here he's in this spot where he's got guys that are from Judaism like him who've been through the history he's been through suffered through the rejection of his own family kind of stuff that he's been through you know how that is when you meet somebody that's got the same kind of story you do they're going through the same kind of thing, how comfort that is to have people stand with you who are in that spot. Not everybody can be. Don't pretend you're everything to everybody and that you know exactly what they're going through. As I've said many times, I don't know what everybody's going through. There are some situations I do know kind of what they're going through because I've been there. But, we have, but these guys were there with Paul, and it's a beautiful thing. And having faithful friends and brethren is important. And then he goes on even more, 12 through 15, or 16, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, which is the same term Paul uses for himself. So he elevates these guys to be true, wonderful brothers who are really doing good work. He, he greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and for those who are in Laodicea, which is right next door, and they're going to exchange letters. And those in Hierapolis, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that's in his house. And now when this epistle, which is a letter, is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans and that you likewise read the epistle from the Laodiceans. We don't have a letter from the Laodiceans. So certainly that's a great opportunity for people to make up a letter um, which that's what people do. There is no letter from the Laodiceans that's available today. God didn't have it protected and put in his word. And we would just assume, like a lot of other things, that's because he didn't want it there. It's okay. It just shows you now. That just says Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but maybe sometimes he was writing, and God said, yeah, not that one. That's not, that's not what I want. Fair enough? God has a right to do that. All right, so if he's writing for the Lord, that's what the Lord's right. So Paphras, one from your own town, one of your own guys, he's a zealous brother. How does he show his zeal above all else? I'm sure many ways, but it tells us here he prays fervently for them. Once again, prayer, continue earnestly in prayer. This guy's a, a, prayer, a prayer warrior. He prays for them earnestly. He's, he's zealous. What does zealous mean? Passionate. Uh, how do you express zealous prayer? How do you, does it, do you have to be really loud? You know, some of us just keep getting louder as we pray. <laughs> you know, in, in certain circles, that's actually a mandate. You know, so you have to get really loud and kind of get very aggressive in your, the way you speak words. Somebody could be very quiet and still be very passionate. Let, let, me, let me put it the best way I can say to, to be zealous First of all, the easy one, and this has been through all history, not just our culture thing. I mean, all you got to do is go to a sporting event, and are there zealous people there supporting their team? 
All you got to do is see somebody who sees a, who's a car, a car buff. Is that how you say it? And he sees a 67 uh, Mustang in cherried out perfect condition, at, you know, and, and how he responds to that, that Mustang. All you got to do is see somebody uh, get a check in the mail or get cash in their hand who just loves money. Are you with me? This is how, well, you want to look at zeal? Just look at people, look at things that people are passionate about and the kind of energy they put into what they're passionate about. Pretty simple, I think. Doesn't mean we can't have other interests. Uh, we do have interests that God's given us in a full life. But uh, at least the passion that you put into your 67 Mustang or your, if Gail was in here, she's with the kids, a Bernina sewing machine many years ago, which is a great thing. She's used it for God's glory. Uh, you know, those are expensive sewing machines. You have to take out a loan on your house to buy one. It comes in a gold case. Uh, anyway, um, I'm kidding. But they're top-of-the-line sewing machines. I'm sure the FAF people would argue, but see, I know all about them. I what? Not too much. <laughs> so isn't it funny? See, I know about my wife's passion. But that's not her main passion. I can speak freely of it at all. Her passion is the Lord. And, but you see what people put energy into. And this guy put energy into loving his, the brethren of his town, the people there. And, you know, then Dr. Luke accompanied Paul anywhere from Acts 16 in there when they were at Troas. And then it says we, where the first time it says we. Instead of they, that's where Luke joined Paul in Acts 16. And they, they went, he and Paul and all of them, went to Macedonia to Philippi. And remember that as Paul's traveling, he, uh, it's an interesting thing. He gets beat up a lot, doesn't he? I mean, sometimes they picked him up off the ground after being stoned. I mean, he stood up and, you know, he was either dead. Maybe that's when he arose to the third heaven. We don't, we don't know. We, uh, we conjecture that he was dead and God raised him to life. If he wasn't dead, he was certainly out of it. And, but every time Paul got sick or injured, it wasn't like the Lord miraculously healed him two minutes later. When he got beat up, he says, listen, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. He had, he had stripes on his back. He had welts. And he had, he had um, scars all over his body. So he had pain and he had suffering and the Lord didn't heal him immediately. It's this wonderful, crazy, interesting, uh, not put your finger completely on it thing about how God does. I, I have a finger that I was told it would never be straight again. That finger right there, that the, the tip would never be straight by a good orthopedic surgeon. He says, those don't go back, and we'd have to do surgery, and it still wouldn't work. As long as you can use it, just don't worry about it. It will not straighten out, and it's straight. I don't, and it happened months later. I, had the, I got food poisoning or something when I get the stomach flu for 10 years. I would get violently ill with all the way through the deep, go, Gail, take the kids and leave the house. It's going to get ugly here. And uh, noisy because I'm going to be, uh, you know, dry heaving and I just can't, there's no way to control it. I just, just go away with the kids. If I'm alive when you get back, good. If I'm dead when you get back, that might be better because this is painful. And then it just went away. I was told I had TMJ and it would need to be fixed. Very expensive when I was a young man. And my jaw, I had a classic case. My jaw popped. I didn't have headaches, but it was clearly not a made-up thing. The guy was telling me, you have one of the most serious cases. $10,000 to get you started. Well, thanks, Doc. 
see Gail pray for me. And, you know, uh, I don't remember how it was kind of over a course of time. I just don't have a problem with it. Just never did affect that. Never happened. There's other things that happen, and you get sick, and you have to have a doctor help you, and there's other things you get sick, and you die and go to heaven. This is life. This is just how it is. And anybody who tries to put God in a little box and say he'll fit just into this little formula that we figured out, you're fooling yourself. And please don't stress over what you can't fix. Here's what Paul did do. One time he prayed over, we think it was his eyes. He asked the Lord three times, and the Lord spoke to him. You know, it's easy to say, and it preaches really well, and it might be somewhat true. He prayed three times. Well, Jesus in the garden prayed three times, and then said, nevertheless, your will be done, not mine, and and he went on to the cross. And so Paul prayed three times. But my understanding as I sit here today is Paul prayed three times, and then the Lord spoke to him. Isn't that what happened? And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. I will... um, I just lost the sentence. <laughs> my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is made per- my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul says, also, therefore, I'm going to glory in my weaknesses that the glory of Christ could come through me. Paul prayed until God spoke to him. That's what I get out of that. When God spoke to him and said, stop asking me for this and just let me work what I want to work in your life, that's when he moved on from there. That's what you do, is you pray. I pray until I get an answer. And if, if I not pray in frustration, I've been praying for 10 years, so I'm not getting Pray with an open heart and say, you know, the Lord isn't, isn't answering the way I want him to, but I know he wants to speak to me. Do you have confidence that he'll do that? It wouldn't be just because of past experience. That does help if you've had good experience that way. But what if you haven't? Then, then, then you're trusting his word that he's going to speak when he wants to, and you're resting in who he is, not the formula. Not the formula. Not the formula. Not the formula. Why am I so intense, um, zealous about that? Because everybody wants a formula. Trusting in the formula. God will comfort. But you know... When my daughter comforts her little guy when he bangs his head or falls down and hurts himself, it's not the first moment that she takes him in his arms that his crying stops. He's not, the pain doesn't go away as soon as she holds him. But he who promised you he'd never leave you or forsake you, he would not leave you as orphans alone. He's more real than a mother for her child. And he's more permanent. And he's perfect. But you might not feel him doing it just because you say, okay, you might need to stay there. Stay there until the pain goes away. And if the pain doesn't go away, stay there anyway. To whom do we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. So, um, and then he talks about uh, 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 Demas. Dr. Luke, and then there's this guy, Demas. We, uh, Luke greets you, and so does Demas, and I want to make mention of him briefly. 
You know, since at first Demas is mentioned in one place as a brother that's in there among the church, you know, helping, and then it mentions him here, and then the third time it mentions him, it's not so good. It's in Timothy. And Paul says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. And he's not saying, Demas has forsaken me, and I'm really mad because he should have stayed with me because I'm the guy. He makes it clear that Demas's reason for leaving was his love for the present world. Um, many Christians are scandalized by the fact that there will be people in your life and people around you who are serving the Lord at one time and then will turn away. Dear brothers and sisters, it was promised in God's word that that would happen. It's a Bible promise. I don't mean that sarcastically or harshly. It's just something that you deal with as a reality. There will be people in your lives, if they haven't already, there are people that will just turn away and go after the way of the world. And uh, um, obviously we hear that in the last days from Scripture will come a great falling away of people turning away. This is because in Matthew twenty four twelve it says, because, the, because iniquity abounds, the love of many grows cold. People let the world influence them instead of influencing the world. It's a challenge, isn't it? The three guys, you know, we all use our personal stories. Forgive me if it's too much. <laughs> but I don't know how to say it better. The, the man who led me to the Lord and the two elders in the group I was in that was a very intense group, and some of you already know this story, but all three of them turned away from the Lord. I mean, all the way to this day, as far as I know, in a very severe way. All of them. They weren't the only leaders in my whole group, but they were the leaders. That I, there was a guy that led me to the Lord. He was never a leader, but he's a guy that shared the gospel and prayed the sinner's prayer with me. He it went into jail for streaking and other assorted things later. The two guys who were the big-time leaders in the group fell away, just gone. One of them uh, does things that are just, I just don't want to really talk about what kind of artwork he's into. It's sad. It's tough. What are you going to do, Rick, from the Lord? What are you going to do? I mean, what do you do in your life? Do you take the temperature of the water, meaning of the people around you? How many people are getting really zealous for Jesus over here? Not that many? Okay, I'm cool. <laughs> How many people are really turning away? I guess I don't have to be that. I'm better than them, so I can just cool my jets. How many people are really doing this, are going to the mission field? Well, I have to go to the mission field. Not that either. You've got to find your direction from God. Isn't that what this is all about? Don't we tell everybody I have a personal relationship with the Lord? Oh, no, I'm not in religion. I'm in a personal relationship with the Lord. Well, if you're in a personal relationship with the Lord, then personally follow him. Follow him like he's alive and real in your life. And when people on your right and your left turn away, go, okay, that's tough, that's hard, but Lord, I'm keeping my eyes on you. I don't know what else to tell you because there isn't anything else to tell you. Though a thousand or ten thousand fall at my right side, the Lord will sustain me. I have no idea why I'm sitting here today. 
accept the grace of God. I don't claim any greatness on my part or stick to or whatever it is that people want to say about themselves. I can claim none of that. But I know that the Lord has spoken to my heart multiple times through multiple decades and consistently does, and I see the foolishness in myself to this very day. You'd think you'd just get completely over all these stuff, and you would just never, ever have those things, but you see people doing, getting blessed the way you're not, and you start to envy. You see people start to get slack and lazy, and you kind of think, well, maybe I should get a little, take it down a notch. I mean, those thoughts come into your mind. That attitude comes to you, doesn't it? Are you going to lie to me? Then nod, yeah, that does. <laughs> I need company here, but but I'm kidding. But but what I do know is that there's these pulls on us. I don't ex- I don't expect the pull on me to go away till the day I die. I've learned what I have learned is that that my goal isn't to have all the problems go away, all the pulls go away, all the negatives go away. You know, and I live in a happy, clappy dream world because I'm an older Christian now. The goal is to set my face in the direction of God and follow him. And I've spent many times, because of the people in my life that fell away, where I've gone out into the woods or somewhere and just walked with the Lord with my Bible or prayed and said, Lord, I'm going to say what you want me to say, what you want me to commit to, and I trust that it's you that gives me the power to do it, not me. Please understand what I'm saying. You're giving me the power to say it, and you're going to be the power that lets me do it. But I'm going to say it with my mouth out loud, out by myself in the woods or wherever. God, you're the reason I live. You're the reason I'm here. You're where, there's no other place to go, and I'm not going to turn away from following you no matter what happens in my life. By your grace, that's what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. And if you say, well, that's just pride. Well, if you're older and you have a different view and a different understanding, I'm going to give you entitlement to that. If you're younger, you don't even know what I'm talking about. You need to start doing it. You can't tell me I don't know because I've been doing it for a long time. And it works. And it comes back. Your words, your words should come back to haunt you. Your words, your words, your own words should come back. Your own prayers should come back to haunt you. And if they don't, if your prayers are so anemic and self-serving that they never haunt you, you haven't learned. I'm not mad at you. Just getting your attention. You haven't learned to pray. You haven't learned to pray fervently. You haven't prayed, learned to pray diligently. You haven't learned to pray consistently with a heart of earnest prayer. Because the words that you would speak to others and the words that you would pray should come back to haunt you. And they have. God, I just want you to be everything to me and nothing else matter. I don't know that that's been fulfilled. But whenever everything else matters more, those words come back to me. Lord, I'm going to serve you through, you know, fire and wind and rain. Those words come back. Lord, I just want to have a passion for you that cannot be put out. Those words come back when the passion starts to fade. 
please. I don't need you to do anything. You are not going to sign anything for me, and I'm not going to follow you home to your house. For your own sake, pray prayers that will come back to haunt you. Pray prayers that will come back to haunt you. Verse 17, And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. This salutation by my own hands, Paul, remember my chains. Grace be with you. So where did he start? He's chained up in a Roman prison. He says, pray with us, not that my chains will be broken free so I can get out of this dump, but pray that God would give me wisdom and grace and I can redeem the time. And that's what redeeming the time is. Is uh, If you've got a hobby, have your hobby. But don't, if you can't stop or include people in it and share the gospel and lift people up with it, dump the hobby. If all it does is take you away to your own little world and it doesn't build you up in Christ and help you build others up, dump it. If you can do it, and spend energy and time, and you can redeem that time, enjoy it and be refreshed, and you can also have your eye and ear open to help other people do it. If you're in a prison of some kind, and God isn't releasing you, spend some energy praying that God will use your prison and your chains to help other people see the freedom that's in Jesus Christ. Do what God has given you to do. Say to Archippus, wouldn't it be funny? I mean, like, wow. Nathan, what would it be like if there was a letter came in an email here to the church, and I'm in Malawi. He says, hey, everybody, doing great here. Thanks for your prayers. Um, you're all just wonderful, love you, and you've all been such an encouragement. And tell Nathan Cargan to fulfill the ministry that God's given him. <laughs> I was like, whoa, why am I being singled out here? I think that Archippus, and I can't help but picture Alvin and the chipmunks when I say his name, just kind of where I come from, but Archippus, take heed to the ministry. If God's given you a ministry, fulfill it. If you don't know if you have a ministry or what it is, find out by being in counsel with other brethren who know you well and can point you in the right direction. Get in the word and pray specifically and then step out because some things you do will not prove to be the ministry God has for you, but they will prove to be a step. And a moving vehicle is easier to steer than a parked car. You know, finally on that, the the priests in the Bible were told to wear linen garments, not wool. They could not wear wool. Wool is heavy and will make you sweat. But you know, if you're wearing linen, and my wife asked, how do they keep it white when they're slaughtering all these animals? And I said, you ask all these great questions, I have no idea the answer to that. They washed it with bleach, I guess, but (laughs) maybe it was supposed to be stained. And by the way, the fact that the, the, uh, the priest was to wear linen didn't mean he never sweated, he never worked hard. But it wasn't a burdensome thing. You know, I, when I have a poor day of teaching, in my estimation, I go home, I'm motivated. If I have a good day of teaching, like I felt oh, like that was great. You know, that was so fun to do, and I'm, I think it was helpful. I hope it was. I'm ready to go open the scriptures and see the next chapter. I'm, I want to do better even. If I have a bad day, if I have a bad day, I was waiting for the amens. (laughs) 
<laughs> I gave you room. Okay, if I have a bad day and I feel like, oh, that was really, I really fell short. Of, I, I, was so, I should have taught it so much better. I still go home and crack the Bible and go, oh, I, I can do better. I've got to go look at it next week because it's linen to me. In other words, I love to study. I love what I'm doing. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you cry. I mean, in my, the whole ministry thing, you know, in mine, yours, whoever's. Sometimes it's painful and difficult. Just because something's painful and difficult doesn't mean you're not supposed to do it. You know, Gail started teaching Sunday school, and I heard about it for morning till night, her struggles for days and days and days about all that she was going through. And I never told her, well, you should stay, you should do it. I said, well, you know, I, I, you know, I said, well, you know, you'll need some time probably to see. Then she's somewhere along the line, she just became Mrs. Sunday School. And, but it didn't start that way. So if you think that the first time you do something, it's going to be like, oh, angels, uh, no. But on the other hand, over a period of time, if you do something, another thing that some people of you guys love is math. God bless you. I don't know what planet you came from. But you love math, and that's where our engineers are, people that love solving math problems. When I see a math book, I run as far away as I can go. It will never be linen to me. It's wool for me to work out deep math stuff. I just can't do it. And I don't like it. When I have to, I do it, but I usually give it to Gail. So what I'm saying is there's wool and there's linen, and you've got to discover that. But don't, because you, because you sweat a little bit, cut yourself and bleed. You know, painting was linen to me, and when I cut my hand painting because of messing around and cleaning up, I'd just wrap some masking tape around my finger, and I would just go back and start painting again. Because I, that was fine. It's just part of, you know, I should be smarter. But I knew I was good at painting, and it was what I was supposed to do. But man, when I got under the hood of a car and I scraped my knuckle, ah, praise you, Jesus. <laughs> I just, Lord, why do I do this? I just need to hire somebody. I just need to bite the bullet and pay somebody. I can't stand working on a car. Do you get it? I mean, and that's been consistent. It wasn't because I tried it once and it didn't go well. It's, I've never been a car guy. So there's wool and there's linen. You'll find out. But if you never sweat, and you never bleed, you'll never know. God has ministry for everyone. And he will say to every one of us, take heed that you fulfill the ministry I've given to you. Get help if you need to find that ministry. We're not here to recruit you for the things we do, like that's our number one goal. We have things that we do. Our goal is to help you become the person God wants you to be. In our own feeble ways, we help each other. (laughs) to become what God wants us to be. Let's stand.